this is a moment in Jesus's ministry here on the earth. Things are just starting to ramp up. Things are just starting to become real for the people in this region. Jesus makes ministry look so easy, doesn't he? The way that he's able to wander from town to town and he goes there and sometimes he's accepted and sometimes he's not. And sometimes they want to lift stones to cast at him and sometimes he's welcomed and people listen to him. And he makes it seem so easy that this thing that we call ministry, this thing that you go on mission for, that you have been called in the Great Commission to do, that you've been called to live out and succumb to your life, Jesus just states it matter-of-factly. You're going to go and do the things that I am already doing, and you're going to do them for all the people around here, and it's going to be just fine. And last week we talked about the faith that had healed these two people. The faith that Jesus called them to, to believe that he was the son of God. And it looks so easy to have that kind of faith. But we look at the end of the story. We've already been there in the Great Commission. Jesus says, don't be afraid for I am with you. Because they stood there and worshipped him and yet some still doubted. And so we look at these 12 ragtag men as they're standing there in front of Jesus. And I I think this story is a lot like looking at pictures of your high school graduation. Like there you are and you've got a big smile on your face, diploma in hand, and you're like, that's it. I can take on the world now. I can do anything I want to do. And then we get that picture and we look at it now and we're like, wow, that person had a lot of feelings that are not true. That person went through a lot of things that just did not happen. I love the energy, but yet here is real life. And I think looking at these 12, one a betrayer, one a zealot, one a denier, one a doubter. I think looking at these 12 here, we get that same feeling like, They're in over their head, but yes, Jesus, whatever you want to do, I am there. And Peter continued that all through his life. Yes, Jesus, wherever you go, I will go. If you go to death, I will follow you in death. And Jesus says, whoa, buddy, you do not know what it is that you speak of. Jesus comes across these crowds and they are suffering. They are helpless. The Greek word there literally means they are thrown to the ground. They are suppressed They are angry, they are scared, they are worried. What should we do for them? And he calls them like sheep without a shepherd. He is the one they have been looking for, and now he is looking at them. Jesus comes upon this scene and sees their anguish and their heartache. And he wants to know what they should do. It's an interesting thing when you're followed by a bunch of people, when you're followed by these disciples, when you're followed by all of these people that want to do the same things you're doing and learn from you. And Jesus says, what can we do for them now? A similar question was asked when they fed the 5,000. They come up to Jesus and they say, look at all of these people. They had this compassion. They had this thing in their heart where they were moved What can we do for these people? 
and the questions as they continue throughout the region. What can we do for these people? What can we do for these people? Because see, Jesus tried to bring the news of the kingdom. He tried to bring the good news of the gospel, which is the kingdom of God is here. It's in the flesh with you now. And he was rejected by the very people that were saying, any day now this is going to happen. Any day now there will be something that goes on. And so Jesus continues his work. But don't confuse those two groups of people. There's not a group of people that need redemption because they are feeling overwhelmed and they're feeling cast aside and they're feeling helpless. And then then there's not a, a group of religious leaders who refuse to listen. This is the same group. Jesus looks on both of them and is moved to compassion. When he is riding on a donkey into the city of Jerusalem. He goes to the side and he looks over and what does he do? He cries. He weeps over the city of Jerusalem because they do not know what they have in front of them. Blessed are those who mourn. Those are the people who wish to see Israel restored. Those are the people that wish to see the kingdom of God here in the flesh. And Jesus comes and he is compassionate to those crowds but he's also compassionate to those religious leaders. Now his compassion is driven from two different places. With the religious leaders, his desire to heal them and and see them live out their religious calling with what they already know about God and what they know about the Bible, what they know about the scriptures. Jesus calls them into that and says, use what you already know. Invite people in. Don't close yourself off. This was our work from last week. He responds in compassion to that. He doesn't brush them aside. He is condemned by them, but he moves on. I will move and go someplace where I am accepted. And his heart is drawn to that. And so here he sees a different type of struggling. He sees a different kind of person. The people, the masses that need his help. The people that have been hungry for a shepherd, someone to take care of them. And out of his compassion, he says to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And this was not just to his 12, but to all the disciples who had been following him at the time. And Jesus is walking around in this region and he sees that there are so many people in need of help. There are so many people who feel helpless in their lives. And he's staring at this crowd of people that want to be like him, that want to follow him, who he's called out of the woodwork and said, follow me, become like me, do the things I do. And he turns around and says to him, the workers are few which is amazing because God is calling them through Jesus. And there they are all standing there, gathered together. And Jesus says, there's not enough of you. The God of the universe in the flesh standing there in front of these people, and he says, this is not enough to heal these people. So we must ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. The very first thing Jesus tells his disciples to do is to pray 
for more disciples. The need is so great that we will not overcome this unless we start to pray first. And it's interesting that Jesus didn't say, ask God to heal these people. Will you pray and make sure that God is healing them? Will you pray to make sure that there's, their days go okay? Will you make sure that they don't sit in traffic today? Will you make sure that their job interviews go okay? Will you pray to make sure that all of their fish are healthy and happy when they catch them? Will you make sure that when they are in the marketplace that they make a lot of money? Those are not the things Jesus said. Jesus says, the first thing I want you to do is pray that there's more like you. The very first thing that we ought to do when we start out this way is that we need to pray for more workers because there is a great harvest. Now, I don't want to talk about harvest in the pejorative way. I don't want to talk about it like there are things that we can gather together as if we own them. We don't own them. God created them. They are part of God's creation. And they are a harvest because the work has already been done. God has already put them here in a time and a place for us. And they are ready. They are ready to be healed. They are ready to be uh, listened to. They are ready to be seen. Their voices are Silent, though, because there are very few workers who will go out there and listen to them. When we started this church, when we planted this, we started off with a certain goal. And that goal was not a number. It wasn't more people. We didn't start praying for lots and lots of people. What we prayed for were more disciples. Because we wanted to be a discipling church first. We wanted to be ascending church first. And what do we want to be known for? Not our seating capacity, but our sending capacity. How well do we send people? Because we believe that transformation happens when the kingdom of heaven draws near. That when we can go to the people around us, transformation can happen that God has put us in a time and a place to affect not the world, not the ends of the earth, not Judea, but our Jerusalem. The people in our lives, in our work, in our schools, in our families. Jesus says, there's the harvest right there. You want to know where you should go first? Right there the place where I have planted you. And so as a church, we started to say, how can we go where God is already at? How can we be there already? And so the prayer kept coming up, we want more disciples. We don't want to just grow a church for the sake of growing a church. We don't want to have big numbers for the sake of showing how great we are in the community. More people can affect more lives, that is true. But are we affecting the lives of the people around us already? Because I would put it to you that we're not. That churches grow 
when the people inside that church are affecting the people on the outside of the church. And we can all look at a pastor and say, well, the pastor's you know, not doing that or not doing this or it falls to the pastor. He's the one that's supposed to grow the church. We can argue about the job description all we want to. But there is the fact that we can't get over what Jesus has called us all to do. We cannot get past that. We cannot get past the part where Jesus looks at his disciples and says, you need to pray for more of you. And so the question we have to ask ourselves is, what have our prayers been like surrounding this? How have we been living out this commission in our lives and in our prayers and when we speak to God about these things? When God is lifted up in our communities, what does that look like? What are we doing to affect the people around us? Because we can't effectively do it as a church if it hasn't started on a discipleship level in your own hearts and in your own minds. Now, it is Jesus' compassion on the crowds that motivates him to commission his followers to become harvesters. He looks at those crowds and he is moved to compassion. He feels his heart. In fact, the Greek word there is actually inner bowels. He is moved to his innards. This is a heart level thing. And then it opens up the second great teaching of Matthew. There's five big teachings in Matthew. They're called discourses. And the first one was the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5. This is the second one, the missionary discourse, as it's called, in chapter 10. And so we read this and we think, well, yeah, this is a call to be a missionary, to go out into the mission field, to go to Africa or South America or Asia or something like that. And to become a missionary. And, well, I'm, I'm not a missionary. I haven't been called to be a missionary. So, therefore, none of this affects my life. But what if we redefined what the mission field is? What if the mission field isn't Asia? What if the mission field isn't South America? What if the mission field is just our backyards? What if the mission field is our neighbors? What if the mission field is our grocery stores? What if the mission field is our own family? And Jesus says you are called to do something when you follow me. And you are called to go into the mission field. And so we follow with that. And it's Jesus' compassion. What should we do for these people? I know what we'll do. I'll commission you all to go and do the things that I do. When there's trouble in town, what's the sheriff do? He commissions. He gets himself a posse, and everyone gets deputized. And these are his deputies now working in his authority. They're working in his honor and glory to say, how can we help? What are we supposed to do next? And Jesus is saying, where is your heart moved? Where are you drawn in with compassion? 
Where have you noticed suffering? Jesus' teaching, preaching, and healings are all motivated by compassion. Compassion is just an easy Greek word that we already know. It just means with, and the word passion means suffering. So when we are moved with compassion, we are co-sufferers with the people that we see. We are co-suffering with Jesus in this mission field. Jesus' compassion for people causes him to recognize how abundant the harvest is and to acknowledge how great the need is for laborers. And so we see that compassion transforms the problem of oppression into an opportunity for deliverance. Compassion for others, not reward, should always be the motivation for our work in ministry. What do I get out of this? What can we do to gain from this? We might help a person and we say, well, now come to our church. Come to a Bible study. We don't get to determine the reward. When we serve people in the name of Christ, that is its reward. We are motivated by compassion. We are motivated by that co-suffering we see in people to move, to open ourselves to those things. Because transformation happens when the kingdom of God draws near. When we come closer to people, when we create relationships with people, that's where transformation happens. It doesn't happen because we started a Bible study. It doesn't happen because we invited them to church. It happens because we opened our lives to them. And it costs everything. And we might never get anything in return. And Jesus says, we've got to be ready for that. We do not meet needs. God does. And we introduce people to God. We introduce people to Jesus. We introduce people to the Holy Spirit. And that opens their lives. And so we say to them, this is not me. This is not anything that I'm doing. But I do this because I love Jesus passionately. And I think you'll love him too. Now we stopped reading at verse 8. But Jesus goes on. He continues in his missionary work. He continues in his commissioning to them. And he says, do not take any gold or silver or copper to take with you in your belts, no bag for the journey or extra shirt or sandals or a staff, for the worker is worthy of his keep. Whatever town or village you enter, search there for some worthy person and stay at their house until you leave. As you enter the home, give it your greeting. Verse 13, if, you, if the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it is not, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home or town and shake the dust off your feet. Be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and be flogged in the synagogues. Verse 18, on my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. 
But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say. For it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. You will be hated by everyone because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you are persecuted in one place, flee to another. Truly I tell you, you will not finish going through the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. So as he finishes that, he gives them even more directions. And I want to give us just three things that we can take from those final directions. And the first one is that Jesus sends us out and his disciples out in authority. First, we are assured that Jesus did not see the world as his alone to evangelize, but that he commissioned others to minister in his name and bearing his authority. You see, we have authority from Christ. We have authority from God to do the things that he is telling us to do. Now, I want us to stop right here with the word authority because sometimes we hear that and we think the wrong type of authority. We think that authority is sometimes dictatorship. We think that it is um, do as I say or else kind of love. (laughs) But that kind of love we don't see in the Bible. We don't see Jesus coming upon the religious leaders and saying, do what I say or else. He says, okay, if you don't want to do it, if you don't want to do what's best for you, I kick the dirt from my sandals. There's two types of leadership and authority. And we see both in the Bible. We see what I call hammer authority, where everything is a nail and you have to beat Everyone on the head with what you know and how much you know and the Bible is the best thing that ever happened to you and you should do things this way and that doesn't win any friends. That's hammer authority. And then there's smell authority, like a pie that's resting on the windowsill. It entices you. It brings you in closer and closer. And Jesus had smell authority. He smelled of love and he smelled of compassion and he was open for that and people were drawn to him because of that. He didn't beat them over the head with it. He didn't pound it down their throats. He just stood up and said, the kingdom of God is here. I have now come to proclaim that and isn't that good news for everyone? And even when we get to the end of the story, his closest friends stood there and worshiped him and still some doubted. Because what good does that do us as humans to stand in front of God because we have to? We stand in front of God because we are compelled by his love. We are compelled by who he is and what he's done for us. We are drawn to other people, not because of what we have to do, not because we have been called truthfully, but because we are drawn by our compassion, we're motivated by our compassion to move closer to other people and do those things. Compassion transforms and transformation happens when the kingdom of God draws near to them. We speak with authority and we move with authority through all of those things. The second thing is is boundaries. 
And this is a really super important part of what Jesus put on us. Because Jesus did not say, remember I do the wrong thing first and then I do the right thing. Jesus did not say, go into every town and then don't leave until everyone has accepted Jesus. He did not say, go into every town, milk yourself dry until there is nothing left in the tank, wear yourself out in ministry, wear yourself out in the world around you because your God wants everything from you. He didn't say that. Jesus did say, however, put boundaries on yourself. If you are not accepted, move on. If people do not want to listen to the things you have to say, move on. If you are trying so hard to get people to like you, if you're, getting, if you're trying to create relationships with the world around you, and they're just not happening, Jesus says, move on. Now, that might be hard for us to accept. That might be a place where we're kind of struggling this morning because God wants us to give and give and give and be compassionate and open ourselves up to all of these people. And when someone comes and asks to borrow our car, then we should give them our car because that's only the compassionate thing to do. We need to say yes to everything. We need to say yes to all of those opportunities in our lives. And Jesus says, no, you don't. Because that's not what true discipleship looks like. Because some people are going to hear and their ears and eyes will be open and some people will not hear at all. And it is confusing to them. And Paul labored under this and Peter labored under this. And would you believe Jesus labored under this too? That people came and listened to him and then they walked away. The great teacher God in the flesh standing there in front of them, and they walked away. And so Jesus says, go and do the same. If you are not accepted, then you can move on. And I think there's a lot of freedom in this for people that are struggling in relationships with people in their lives who are toxic, with relationships at work, with relationships in family. If you are in a relationship like that that is toxic, you can move on. You do not need to be treated that way because we need to put up better boundaries in our lives. Because when we say yes to everything, then all of a sudden we say no to something else that's important, family, work, friendship. When we're available to everyone, we're available to no one. And so when we have people in our lives that are needy, that are always taking, that we always need to give to. Jesus says, no. No. Your job is very simple. Open your life to people, but do not be taken advantage of. Because they will find Christians, they will find churches, they will find a way that works best for them. The gospel is not a transaction. We don't do things and receive things. We don't go around looking for handouts. But when there is compassion, and then there is a need to move, we do that. Our authority gives us something else, though. 
our authority gives us freedom. Because in the gospel, there is freedom. Limits are not the heart of this passage, though. Limits exist in service of something else, freedom. That when we can put up clearly defined boundaries of what we're available to do, how we can serve, what part of us gets to be taken up this week, what sacrifices we make, there is freedom in that. It allows us to be free for other things. It allows us to be available to family and available to work and available to those moments. There are moments of wondrous freedom in giving and receiving, but there's also crippling and binding practices of exchange that constantly measure and compare these outcomes. The freedom that comes in Christ means that we're not measuring up to anything. That we allow Christ's work to speak in our lives. And we don't wait for returns on anything. We don't wait to see how we measure up. But in our authority, there's a freedom to say, you know what? I see a need here. So I'm just going to take this back to the committee and see if we can fulfill this need. I'm going to go form an exploratory committee, uh, a team of people that can get on this and start to say, can we help this person? Your freedom in Christ, your freedom through his authority says, I see compassion and I can deal with it in the way that I need to. What are my skills? What are my strengths? Remember, we talked the very first week about how the Spirit gives gifts to people of the church And they are used for our freedom and authority of Christ to bring people together. The unifying spirit work that goes on. And so when we see need, when we're moved to compassion, it usually is something that we can fulfill. Something that has drawn us in to say, I know how to fill this need. You can do that. Does someone need a meal? Does someone need to be invited into your house for dinner? You can do that. You don't need the church to do that for you. You can do that. Do you have an empty pool that needs to be swam in? Because we will come and swim in that pool. That's fine. You don't need to bring it to the church and say, well, I have this great idea. I want to maybe invite some people over. Open your house. This is the hospitality that Christ has shown. This is the hospitality that Abraham has shown. He didn't stop and say, let's pray over this. We are wanderers ourselves. Do you know, in Genesis, in that story between uh, uh, chapter 12 where he's called and chapter 18 where we read today, Abraham and Sarah stop in 12 different places. And they eventually stop in 18 different places total. They're sojourners themselves, and here are other people that are wandering around, and they say, come on into the tent, we'll bake you bread, we'll kill a goat, and we'll all have yogurt and bread and meat together. He didn't stop and say, can we afford this? Is this something that would look good, our eating with these people? The gospel is not a transaction. We don't need to wait around for someone to tell us what to do. And again, we can argue about the job description all day long, but we cannot get past this verse where Jesus is calling us all to the mission field and says, you can do these things. 
You don't need any other authority. You don't need any other person in your life to do them because you have a shepherd. You have someone in your life who has already shown you the way and how to do these things, how to live them out. And that's our call this morning. How do we live out compassion in our context? How do we move from here to there as people of God? How do we live out our collective calling together as disciples to say, you know what? I have been authorized by Jesus to do this very thing.